Sarah was talking about planting roots. What you guys can do this week is you can pray for uh, John, our board chairman, myself, uh, Jerry, who's who's a friend of ours, who's a real estate broker in town. We are actually meeting with our landlord this week, and we're going to kind of talk and see if they would give us a lease extension. He may not. <laughs> Uh, he wants some things uh, from from us that we really really hate. But part of what they want is they want to build a couple apartments like on our property, so the you know give them some land and stuff. And the city has said we can't do that, and they're not really happy about that. And we wouldn't do it anyway because we need the parking. Uh, but kind of when we say no, he likes to say no. So if you guys could just pray that God would soften his heart and yeah. Yeah, yeah, blame it on somebody. Lie. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> it's the city's fault. We're throwing them under the bus. No, just pray about that because it, it's... It, you've never met with him. We have. So that's... Just pray for us and and him. and Yeah. So we originally had a newcomer party set up for May 13th, which was a week from this coming Friday at 7 p.m. And then at staff meeting on Friday, last Friday, we figured out none of us were going to be able to be there. <laughs> so we moved it on you. Okay, so we moved the newcomer party. If you are newer, newer to Element and you want to know more about us, meet some other people, what we're going to do is we're going to do it on May 15th, uh, which is actually a Sunday morning. So it's going to be after the third morning at 2 p.m., at 2 p.m., and so you can go grab something to eat and then head over there and hang out. You don't even have to, if you go to Subway, you don't have to buy one of their nasty cookies. You can, no? Have you had a Subway cookie? They're horrid. Yeah. I, okay. I was, they are not. They are not good. I would know because I eat everybody's cookies, all right? Some I don't know who it was. I think it was somebody that comes to second service last week. Just brought tons of like homemade cookies. There were so many that they gave me a bag to take home. I swear I didn't steal it. Okay, they gave me a bag to take home, and I ate them like in three days. And it was a huge bag. They were not from Subway. <laughs> now, so last time I was in Subway, my wife goes, "Oh, get a Subway." Snack. So I stopped on my home and grabbed one. And I was like, "Oh, box of cookies. I'll take one of those." And you know what? <laughs> We gave all those cookies away to kids in our gospel community. <laughs> they love them. They're great. I, I, I am a cookie snob, and I will never eat your Fig Newtons because they're of the devil. Anyway, so what was I saying? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Newcomer party. So, yeah, that's what we're talking about, the newcomer party. May 15th, 2 p.m. If you go to somewhere, don't buy a cookie there. Just head to the newcomer party, and we'll have good cookies for you. And you can hang out, get to know some other people. So 2 p.m., we'll get to announce it on that Sunday morning as well. We're doing something a little different. It's going to be at the Ernest House, but I'm not giving you directions unless you sign up and you want them because we don't just want you to show up at their house out of the blue. But if you do, they would actually probably make you food. Like I showed up last night, and they made ribs. I know. They are such awesome people. So I don't know why I'm telling you that. All right, so if you are newer to Element, sorry about... There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, there are notes that go deeper into what we're talking about, as well as some questions to ask one another to go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on uh, events in Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, <sighs> announcements, all that goes along with today's message. Why don't you stand with me? Reading of God's Word. We'll get started. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 25. It says, And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. 
Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be those who find our identity in you and who you have called us to be. That we would live out that calling in our lives that would bring you great glory and we would get great joy by understanding who we are first and foremost in you. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in the book of Acts. This is week 15. Uh, we are using this series to help you in ways you probably didn't even know you needed, but that's okay. Uh, we want to help all of us see the early church, what Jesus was doing in the early church, how he grew it, but also the things that we can learn as well as we reflect this missional calling of Jesus. A lot of you will not spend the rest of your lives in Santa Maria or at Element, and so we'd like you to know what to look for in any church you decide to attend biblically. Now, when we talk about this, it doesn't mean Element does all these things perfectly, uh, but by God's grace, hopefully we're growing and getting a little better in certain areas. Now, throughout the book of Acts, you hear me say this term a lot. You'll hear me say, the missional calling of Jesus. What does that mean? Like, you probably go, oh yeah, that sounds great, but if I asked you to define it, you'd be like, it's the missional calling calling of Jesus, right? That would be your answer because you don't know how to explain it. Uh, Mission is simply our purpose. At Element, we say we exist to glorify God by teaching and living out the scriptures, by transforming community in the gospel community and planting churches. That's our mission. This will happen when we orient our lives around making disciples who make disciples. These disciples who are us are going out to be a blessing to the earth. So how do we disciple each other? but we disciple each other by understanding and living out the gospel in each other's lives. Okay, great. So what's the gospel? Well, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has defeated uh, sin, death, and evil through his own death and resurrection and is making all things new, even us. That comes out of a book called Called Together. So living the gospel in our lives means we live the reality of what Jesus has done and how it has changed us and how we then speak that into one another's lives because we understand the goodness of who God is, the salvation and the redemption that we have through Jesus. This means we live in communities that are centered on the gospel. Community, which we talked about last week, is how God intends for his people to live with one another. We are saved individually, but we are saved to live in community with one another just as God himself lives in community in the Trinity. So, what's the missional calling of Jesus? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know there was going to be a test on this. I'll probably make a blog post about this. We'll put it up this week, and you can have all that. You won't even know. What's a blog post? Where do I get that? The Internet? What's that? Okay, whatever. It'll be online this week. Uh, the early church did all those things I talked about in various ways. Again, not always perfectly, but they were trying as well. Uh, in the early church, people were coming to know and follow Jesus. They're holding each other accountable. Hope is being restored. The gospel is going out. More and more people wanted to know and hear about who Jesus was and is. Uh, Last week in week 14, we looked at the reason that God was doing a lot of miracles there, and that is to validate the ministry of Peter and the apostles. But what do you think happens when there's miracles all done in one place for some people and all of a sudden other people don't get miracles? People get mad. And people get kind of jealous. What you will see today is that the apostles, their, their, their faith is going out, it's becoming public, and other people are going to get mad about that. They're going to want to arrest them. The disciples are inviting other people to know and to follow Jesus. And what I hope you see today by the end is a really good example of what it means to find our identity in Christ. Jesus has said that we are children of God. And when we live in that calling as children of God, we're not swayed by all the things that come into our lives because we know who we are first. 
first. We say constantly that God does everything for His glory, and so should we, and in doing that, we will find great joy. So the apostles are doing this by living and showing and preaching about Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave. He's reconciling the world to Himself. Everything becomes about Jesus. And then our lives are lived out in ministry. Ministry simply means service where God uses people, his people, to go out and touch others' lives and help other people. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're starting on verse 17. I think Mark Driscoll said that Acts 5 is like about four things. I'll tell you what those are. Uh, number one, it's that people are being loved by God. Uh, Acts uh, 5, 12 through 16, we looked at last week. People are brought in. They're being loved in community. The second thing is that people are being saved. What we mean by that is non-Christians are becoming Christians and followers of Jesus. You will see the opposition to that in today's text. Uh, our world today, really sociologically, there's no longer any benefits to calling yourself a Christian. Like if you send up and say, I'm a Christian. People don't go, yay, go you. What they usually do is go, oh, so you're one of those narrow-minded bigots, sexist with your head stuck in the sand. And we go, thanks for the tolerance. Right? Just like that? No? Anyway, so, so and, and this is kind of happening in, in the world of Acts at the time with, with the early church. Those who ran culture, those who were in charge, didn't really like Christianity, and they wanted it to kind of go away. And you'll see that in Acts, a lot of people cross the line, and they begin to follow Jesus. At Element, we would say today is the day. Give your life to Jesus. Submit. Follow him and stop letting others pull you away from who he calls you to be. Uh, thirdly, people are healed. Uh, we believe that God has healed, that God will heal. Uh, in the kingdom of God, there is no sickness, and occasionally God breaks in and, and heals now. But we also believe that God uses doctors to heal. So if you're sick, pray. Let us know. We'll pray for you, but go to the doctor. Okay. Thanks. Sometimes... <laughs> Sometimes you pray, and God says, okay, great. And sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says wait. Most time God says, go to the doctor. It's why I gave them to you. Okay. Number four, people are being delivered. And when we talk about that here in Acts, this is, they're talking about unclean spirits. And our world is so weird about this, because either TV shows are all like exorcisms, or it's like it doesn't exist at all, when really it's somewhere in the middle. The scriptures tell us that there are situations where sickness is physical, and there are situations where sickness is spiritual, and sometimes it's both of those. And our culture likes to think everything spiritual is good. Oh, they're so spiritual. Oh, it's wonderful. It's, we got to be discerning because not everything spiritual is good. And when you start to preach the gospel and go out and do all of these things, like loving people and, and telling people about Jesus and healing and all of these things, you're going to eventually receive some opposition, especially when you use the name of Jesus. For every good thing out there, there's going to be a criticism. So Jesus is using his followers to help and do all these things in other people's lives. Acts 5.17, this is what happened. Okay? But the high priest rose up. That's the leader of the priests. He's mad because no one asked him if they could do this. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have been here for Acts, have the apostles done anything wrong at this point? You're like, oh, no, another quiz. The answer is not Jesus. I don't know what to do. Right? The answer is, yes, they have done something wrong. Them preaching about Jesus is actually illegal, but they do it anyway. Now, from our perspective, we'd say, no, they're not doing anything wrong. From a practical standpoint, people are getting healed. Uh, demons are being cast out. And, you know, we got a good motto, the less demons, the better. Like, you walk into a house, it's all, get out of the house. And be like, ah! And someone walks in and goes, demon be gone, and it leaves. The less demons, the better, okay? 
Good model for all of us. Uh, more people are following Jesus. And I'm not really sure why the chief priest is so angry. Maybe he's hoping for more sick people. He's like, I'm pro-sickness. I need more demon-possessed people out there. You know, what, what's, Really what's happening is they're opposing the apostles because they have influence with the people and the people are listening to them. Now, sometimes preachers will say things from the pulpit maybe they shouldn't say. Maybe you've met somebody like that. I don't know. Okay, but, but for them, in this regard, at this point, they haven't done anything wrong in that regard. So opposition, opposition doesn't mean there's always sin. Sometimes it does, but not here. The apostles end up going to a public prison. That is an effort to publicly shame them to get them to stop talking. You know, uh, this is all legal and it's all coming from jealousy, which I think makes us have to ask this question. Who are you jealous of or what are you jealous of? Does someone have something else, something else that you want or, you know, somebody has a position that, that you want? If you cannot celebrate God's blessing in someone else's life, it usually stems back to jealousy and not understand that you too are a child of God. And God too has blessed you. You know, this happens in ministries and churches all the time. Like, sometimes things get back to us at Element, what people say about us. Like, people have said, oh, did you see that symbol that they have? There are a bunch of weirdos who water down the gospel. If you have ever been to Element, I talk about the gospel every single week. So... They've never actually been here. Uh, they don't have a cross on their wall. Uh, I heard their pastor say a swear word once. That could be true. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> they, they don't tell us how to vote. You know, they're what's wrong with our country. Guys, I got to if, if I have half an hour to talk to you about anything, I am going to talk to you about Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm going to tell you follow and love Jesus. I think some people hopefully come to Element because they love Jesus. I know people actually have left Element because we talk about Jesus too much and we call everybody to understand that you are supposed to live on mission. And they say, well, that's just too much. I don't really want to do that. Guys, I have one message. I just repackage it every week just a little differently, but it's only the same message. Jesus. And people say that. He only ever talks about Jesus. Right. Okay. I want 10 steps to make me feel better. I got one step. Jesus. Okay. (laughs) Repentance. Follow him. Glorify God. In that you will find joy. When your life is found in him, you will know who you are. You will live out the gospel in your life and everything will change. Now, I have on occasion, I have found myself jealous of other people and I don't like it and it's petty and it can be a deep root of sin in my life. I don't want to be one of those guys. I think Driscoll said about this, he goes, for religious people, it's not about helping people, it's about maintaining control. Why? Because we're jealous, because we're jealous. Religious people don't seem to care about lost people. They want to spend all of their time, I want to go to another Bible study, I want to learn this, and not that Bible studies are bad, and not that talking about certain issues are bad. It's that some people who are religious want to spend all of their time just doing this and never living it out. They want to talk about, oh, do you tithe on your gross or your net? Is Sabbath Friday or Saturday or Sunday? Are you a Calvinist or are you an Armenian? Let's talk about prophecy and the end times and the rapture. It's like, dear God, please, and take them first. Because we are called to live out what God has done in us. Not to sit around all day and talk about all the things we know and learn more and more and more stuff. This is what drives me nuts sometimes. People are like, oh, we need more Bible studies. I'll tell you what. You live out what you know already, then we'll have some more. Okay? But we need to be living out what you... Someone after first service says, man, you are like on it today. This is my soapbox, guys. We need to be living out the missional calling of Jesus, understanding our identity. In the scriptures, they will argue with the apostles. Did they get saved the right way? Is there a wrong way to get saved? Okay. Off the soapbox. Uh, God is going to send who he wants to send. 
Uh, in the scriptures, what, what you see is you'll have Peter. Peter is like a loser. He's like the guy who didn't make it through high school, had to go be a fisherman because his life didn't turn out probably the way he wanted to, so he's fishing. And then you have the high priest, educated beyond his intelligence, has a very high opinion of himself, and who does God decide to use? Peter. God uses Peter. Why? I think Peter was humbled, and Peter come, came to understand who he was in Christ. He knows his identity. The high priest is jealous because he finds his identity in his position. And by doing that, he sends the apostles to jail. So, verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So they get out of jail, they get up early and go do it all over again, the same place they just got arrested. It's awesome. you gotta, you got to understand that part of ministry and serving others is we must talk about Jesus. We've got to talk about who he is. If you go out and you heal and you help and you love and you don't preach Jesus, everyone will love you. Oh, you're the greatest person in the world. As soon as you start to talk about Jesus, people are like, can you shut up now? You know, just, just give me this stuff and stop talking about Jesus. Everybody just wants you to shut up when you start talking about Jesus. You guys see this movie, Jackie Robinson's story called 42? Right. Do you know, if you read his biography, he will tell you that he did what he did because of Jesus. R- across racial boundaries. Why? Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. I just watched this movie last week called The Finest Hours. You probably haven't seen it. Didn't make any money. Disney made it, but it flopped, so whatever. But it's about this guy, and there's this oil tanker that breaks in half, and this guy goes out with this crew, and he rescues these people <clears throat> off this oil tanker. And, and you read it, and it's like, oh, yeah, man, the guy really stuck it out. He did all these things. It, this guy, when you read the quotes about why he did that, he said, the Lord enabled me to do this. God is the one who sent me there. God is the one who kept us safe in what we did. And you don't hear any of that in the movie. Because all the world wants us to do is stop talking about Jesus. You can stop talking about Jesus because he is the one who gives us life and makes all things new. We must understand that. Our identity is found in who he is. What you also have to understand is that Jesus even rising from the grave, that is also an illegal act. He's not supposed to be able, he's not supposed to do that. Uh, Jesus says in John 18.36, my kingdom is not of this world. And this leads a lot of people to say things like, oh, well, see, we're not supposed to have to engage the world and talk about Jesus. We'll just go live on a hill and as a monk and not talk to anybody. That's not what he's saying, because what's going to happen is Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Grave, if he respected Pilate's authority, Jesus would have stayed dead. But he didn't. He rises from the grave. Uh, Pilate goes and he, and he puts a seal and a rock in front of this tomb. To break the, the seal of Pilate was an illegal act. He put a squad of soldiers in front of the tomb to guard it. To attack the Roman soldiers was illegal. Easter Sunday comes along. The stones rolled away. The seal is broken. The soldiers get struck and knocked out. Can you say civil disobedience? Right? <laughs> right? And Jesus re-enters the world that he made. Why? To send us to be witnesses of that resurrection. You've got to keep in mind the whole will of God and what he calls us into. Later, Peter will say in 1 Peter 2.12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter assumes that God's people are actively doing good for others. They are doing ministry. And if they speak against you for doing good, we still hope they glorify God on that day of visitation. This means we understand that Jesus cares about everything. Like in like in Santa Maria, Jesus cares about energy and oil. He cares about both those things. He cares about the poor. He cares about the latest scandal, whatever it happens to be. He cares about microloans to third world countries. He cares because all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. 
And when you talk to people across the political aisle from you, you have to understand that God cares about what they care about. Jesus cares about that. He may not see it the same way they do, but he still cares about those things. It means that in all we say and do, we become obedient to God first, above any human authority. So this is what happens. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, that's the committee, and all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. This is where it starts to get funny. So you got all the people, uh, either they got like big hats and their name badges, or if you're in England, they got wigs, because they're very important to go tell everybody what God has to do. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So imagine your job, they tell you, go get the guys out of the prison. You're the head of this group. You got to you get them, and there's no one there. You know, you had one job. What are you going to do about that? No one's in the jail. So they returned and reported, and you see the guy laying out his points here, okay? We found the, the prison securely locked. And the guards standing at the door, so they're doing their job, they didn't go anywhere. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. It's like that old little children's thing you go, you know, here's the temple, here's the jail, open up the door, where's all the males? There's, you know, whatever, okay. You guys need to like have a different childhood. You got to like my childhood, you'd understand all the stuff I talk about. It's like no one's there, what? What do we do? Verse 24, but when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Like, you put the guys in prison. Yes. You lock the door. Yes. And there's nobody there. Yes. Well, that's weird. Right. <laughs> it is weird. And someone came and told them, so Sherlock Holmes shows up, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple. And what are they doing? teaching the people. Like, this again! We told them not to do that. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. This isn't where you smoke out with or rocks at you until you die. Okay? Verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, it's angry and loud, we strictly charged you. So it's like we voted, it's in the minutes, we can pull it out and read it back to you if you want to. We strictly char- charged you not to teach in this name. What name? Jesus, five of you. What name? Jesus, yes, they won't even say it. All the opposition is around you. Stop talking about Jesus. The name above all names, the one name worthy of all glory. The apostles keep talking about Jesus. Element, what's the name? Jesus. You white people. Tell. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Peter knows where his identity lies. It is found in Jesus. And you have to be careful here. Let me take a little side note. Because there are a lot of people that run around the world today, and they say things like, Oh, we must obey God rather than men. And they do all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, Oh, I'm going to have 20 wives and have a cult compound and kill yourself and ride the comet. You know? It's horrible. You have other guys who, who have walked up to girls and said, God told me you're supposed to marry me. God didn't tell me. <laughs> you know, we, we've had people come to Element at times and say, God told me I'm supposed to preach in, in front of this congregation. And I'm like, God didn't tell me, weirdo. <laughs> I say it nicer than that. How we, okay, but you know. You got, the words, I must obey God, can be prone to abuse. People abuse it all the time. So the question comes down to identity. Who are you in Jesus? Is your will subordinated to his always? Let me tell you this story. It's a guy named Dieter Zander. Everybody heard Dieter Zander? Anybody? Great. Okay. 
So Dieter Zander, uh, he was he was the worship leader at Willow Creek Community Church when it's going gangbusters and, and it's really huge. Uh, he was gifted. Everybody loved him. Like, he would walk out on stage and people would go, yay, Dieter's here, yay, which is always kind of awkward, right? So what happens is eventually Dieter Zander, he has a stroke. He's in a coma for six days. He wakes up. He can no longer use his right arm or his hand. He cannot speak because his speech center is now compromised. Today, Dieter Zander, years later, he works in a Trader Joe's. Not ours. Okay, He works in a Trader Joe's, and he sweeps floors and discards bruised fruit or gives it to shelters. A conversation that would have taken three minutes now takes an hour with him. He's trapped inside of his body and mind. He says that he has the same quick wits. He's got the same humor. Everything else is the same inside, but it won't come out of his mouth but he will also tell you that his relationship with Jesus is deeper than ever, ever because his identity is found in Jesus. His joy is found in Jesus. And that is the difference between someone who says, I must obey God, and it's all about their own glory, versus someone who says, I must obey God, and it costs them everything. That's the difference. When Peter says, we must obey God rather than men, Peter knows where his identity lies. It's in Jesus. And because it's in Jesus, you know what Peter does in the middle of all this chaos of being on trial? He's going to preach a short little sermon about Jesus. It's really kind of funny and amazing. He gets a sermon, gets arrested, goes to jail, gets out of jail, he's preaching a sermon, gets arrested, stands on trial. What does he do? He preaches a sermon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And all about Jesus. So this is what he says. Okay. Um, the God of our fathers raised Jesus... Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him at his right hand and leader, as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, Peter, before the Holy Spirit, he is a complete coward. He wants to run from everything. But what does Jesus say would happen when the Holy Spirit comes? He will give you power to do what? To be his witnesses. Not all this weird mumbo-jumbo that's like, oh, I got the Spirit of it. It is to be His witnesses. That's why He gives you power. Witness of who? Jesus. See, now you can say it because it'll be right. Jesus, right? And what's Peter doing? He's witnessing the name of Jesus. The guy who was a coward who denies Jesus three times, who runs away, now he knows who he is. And Peter says, you don't know Jesus, but you need to know Jesus. And if you had the Spirit of God, you would acknowledge Jesus. He says that to the high priest, the one who has the power at this point over their lives. They understand that Jesus paid the ultimate price for them, and they're willing to pay the ultimate price for him. Everything starts and ends with Jesus. But when they say this, it's not about being argumentative or being combative. It's about a conviction that sees joy in other people coming to follow Jesus. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thudas rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. We're going to talk about that next week just a little bit. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them 
Nice. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to beat you first. And charge them. What do they charge them? Not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So when they, because before they always said, don't speak in that name. Maybe you're like, maybe the apostles are dense. They don't mean, know that we mean Jesus. Now they're like, don't talk about Jesus. And then they beat him and, and send him out. I will tell you, sometimes in ministry, you will take a beating for Jesus. I know a lot of churches, they don't tell you that, oh, God just wants to give you bunnies and roses and all the money you could ever need. No. Sometimes you will take a beating in your ministry for Jesus. How do you respond to that? It says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing. What? You can see that coming. They get beaten through a party. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, they didn't stop in the temple where they got in trouble in the first place. And from house to house, that'd be like gospel communities, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Why do they have joy in a beating? Because their lives are not about them. Their lives have become about Jesus. They know who Jesus is. They know who they are in Jesus. The religious leaders are doing everything they can to stop and silence the apostles from speaking and preaching and teaching about Jesus, from healing in the name of Jesus. The apostles are beaten. What that means is they're probably flogged. And what you do is you be flogged 39 times. You whip like 39 times. It used to be 40, but they thought 40 was too much, and they might miscount, so they did 40 minus 1. They called it 39. So if you got 40, oops, I miscounted, whatever, right? And, and this is what happens with religion. When, it's, when, the, when it doesn't point to Jesus, when it's not about him, what happens is you become more obsessed with counting the number of lashes than the person you are destroying. See, Peter's concern, because his life is found in Jesus, is about proclamation of the good news. That Jesus is making all things new through his death and resurrection. That Jesus has taken all of our sins upon himself. That Jesus has provided a way for us and God to have relationship again. He's provided a way for us and each other to have relationship again. That in Jesus, all things have, in life have purpose and meaning. We must know our identity as children of God before anything else. Because if we don't, we're going to be swayed all over the place. Acts chapter 5, it starts with these people named Ananias and Sapphira. They die in the midst of this lie to God. Then you move how God interacts with those outside the accountability of the church. Then move to Peter and the apostles uh, getting jailed and beaten. And then eventually you'll get to this guy named Stephen in, in a few weeks. And Stephen is another guy who is stoned. For, not smoking out, but like with rocks, right? Uh, to death for, for preaching Jesus. The event that you read today that we talk about takes place between Ananias and Stephen. And this is, I think, why Peter makes that statement. We must obey God rather than men. And Luke puts it here so that we would understand that Luke is drawing all these things together. So we understand that whether it is death or life or being, or being let go, everything is still all about Jesus. Complete fidelity to the gospel is demanding but brings great joy. Um, Joan Ch- uh, Chittister, who lived as a monk, she tells the story of a warlord and a monk. This is what she writes. She says, Once upon a time, the story went, a warlord rampaged through the countryside, ravaging and killing as he went. Word spread quickly from village to village, and the peasants fled for their lives. As he strode into the last of the villages, the warlord said with a smirk, The village is empty, I presume. Well, yes, my lord, his attendant answered, except that is for one monk who refuses to leave. The warlord was furious. Bring that monk to me immediately, he roared. So they dragged the old monastic to the square. Do you know who I am, the warlord shrieked. I am he who can run you through with the sword without even batting an eye. And do you not know who I am, the old monastic said, looking him straight in the eye? I am she who can let you run me through with the sword without even batting an eye. See, this is the power of knowing who you are in Christ. Can you imagine joy in the midst of being run through? Can you imagine joy in the midst of a beating? I mean, put it in our culture vernacular. Can you imagine joy in the midst of an unfaithful spouse? Can you imagine joy in the midst of a loved one dying? 
You can imagine joy in the midst of a job loss. And when I say joy, I'm not talking about happiness. Okay, happiness is fleeting. It is temporary. You know, I'm not talking about some fake smile you plaster on your face. I'm talking about a deep, soul-abiding joy that you understand in all things Jesus holds you. He walks with you through these things, and he will never, ever let you go. This is what comes from understanding our identity in the person of Jesus. Our, our commitment must be grounded in Christ's identity and calling of who we are. And today I implore you, as Peter implored the people in the temple day after day, submit, surrender, find your life in him, and only in that will you know and live in true life and real life. This is the understanding of the proclamation of the gospel and what we speak and teach to people. That we say these things, that Jesus is the one who has rescued. Jesus is the one who has redeemed. And when our, when our focus is there, everything kind of comes in the line a little bit better. And I'm not saying that everything is all happy and great in your life, but you find a deep, soul-satisfying joy that enables you to speak about Jesus in every situation that you are in. Because he is the one who will fix things. We've kind of been on this theme for the last few weeks about this, that Jesus is the one who fixes this thing. Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who redeems. This is one of the reasons we talk about communion every week. You go there and you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. So that we'd be a people who understand his goodness and his grace. We would lay our burdens down there. And would stand up and walk knowing our identity and who he has called us to be. Uh, The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. There'll be some... Uh, leaders in the back, and if you guys need prayer for anything, I mean, if you, if you need prayer, like your identity has been found somewhere other than in Jesus, and your life is all over the place, because if you find your identity in people, in things, in money, or your job, it is always going to fall apart, and you're always going to be left with this hole in the middle of your life. And I'm not saying that Jesus is the round peg for your round hole. I am saying that Jesus isn't a peg, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith and our lives. It is his story. We must understand that our lives are meant to be found in him as he is writing our story. Only in that is your life going to begin to make sense. So we surrender all that we are to him and go and live and preach and teach the gospel that he has called us to speak about. We talk about him in everything. And I'm not, again, not talking about awkward conversations like your buddies are talking about how the ducks lost last week. And you're like, oh yeah, the ducks lost. And how about that Jesus? Because that's just weird. Okay? But you're living in such a way that your life is different because of what Jesus has done. And those conversations do come around. And don't be afraid to talk about it because it's not that you have to have all the theological answers. You simply talk about what Jesus has done in you. Your identity is found in him. And that brings such joy. There's offering boxes on the sidewall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship. You have the opportunity every week. We don't pass a plate. Uh, there's food in the back. We invite you to grab something to eat. There were like uh, donut holes back there this morning. Someone brought like, you know, things, you know, little balls of mostly sugar, which are awesome. Okay, grab something to eat. Maybe meet some other people. Ask some of the questions in the sermon notes. Go a little bit deeper. And maybe be honest enough to talk about where your identity really lies. Because I think for most of us at times, our identity is not found in Jesus. They're found in what we do. They're found in what we say. They're found in how we dress. It's found in how people perceive us. But if we get to the place where we actually can surrender all of us to Jesus and understand our identity in him, we will live in the joy that God intends for us to live in. And then we will talk about that so people would know that our lives can be healed and whole in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning.
I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk in the goodness of our identity. That we are children of yours, that we are saved by your hand, that we have been made new because of what you have done. And that would change how we think. It would change how we respond to situations around us. That things that really want to irritate us won't irritate us so much because it's not about us, it's about you. That you would grow us into the people that you intend for us to be. And we wouldn't fight you in that. We would simply listen to you. That we would walk with you in the great joy that you have bestowed upon us would be known to all people because of how your children live. Teach us to live and to walk in your love and grace freely given to us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.